You are listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. You can always listen to the show live weekdays from 5.30 to 7 p.m. on WDEV AM and FM and streaming at WDEVradio.com. You can text in your thoughts 24-7 at 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. Following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast paced. Good at running back, good at receiver, good at tight end, better defense, elite coaching. Stop telling me the Patriots can't win. Opinionated. I don't do lists. They are worthless. Stop bringing them to me and stop getting invested in them. To the point. It might finally be time to admit I was wrong. The Red Sox are not going to finish fourth in the division. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas Show on a Friday right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. It is a guestless Friday. It is a Major League Baseball trade deadline Friday. It is an all-baseball Friday and we do it until 6:10 right here on WDEV. Red Sox and Rays are coming up at 6:10. First pitch is at 7:10. The Red Sox it's a huge series. They go into the trop leading the division by a game and a half. A ton of trade deadline rubble for us to sit through. You're going to want to get in 802-585-3026 on the Napa Morrisville Napa Waterbury text line. Did the Red Sox do enough? Did they get drastically outclassed by the rest of the American League at the deadline? We will take all of your thoughts. 802-585-3026. This was the most eventful trade deadline I can ever remember in my life. Max Scherzer moves yesterday. Chris Bryant moves today. Anthony Rizzo moves. Joey Gallo moves. Trey Turner moves. We saw... You know, a couple of days ago, Adam Frazier moved, Nelson Cruz moved, Craig Kimbrell was traded today to the Chicago White Sox. The the Braves got three new outfielders today in Eddie Rosario, Jorge Soler, and Adam Duvall. This was absolutely crazy, and this is probably what baseball was trying to achieve, some excitement at the deadline when it got rid of the August waiver trade deadline. Everything compressed to now. Teams had to make their moves. At the end of the day, the Red Sox make two moves. Well, they make three moves. They bring in Kyle Schwarber, they bring in reliever Hansel Robles, and they bring in reliever Austin Davis while shipping out Michael Chavis. And I said all along I thought Chavis was a guy who's going to be moved, although I'd like to think they could have gotten better than a reliever that most people had never heard of a lefty Austin Davis from the Pittsburgh Pirates. If you take nothing else from today's Major League Baseball trade deadline, know this. The American League East is now going to be a huge battle down the stretch because all four teams battling in the division make moves. Schwarber and Robles and Davis come to the Red Sox. The Rays get Nelson Cruz, reliever J.T. Chagua, And then they lose closer Diego Castillo in kind of an odd move with Seattle. The Yankees get Joey Gallo, Anthony Rizzo, and Andrew Heaney in a deal from the Angels late. And the Blue Jays, we can't forget about them. They they acquire closer Brad Hand, and they go get Jose Barrios, you know, outside of Scherzer, the best starting pitcher that moved over the course of the trade season. This is going to be an absolute battle. 
The White Sox and Astros, let's not forget what they did to their bullpens also, just as American League competitors. The American League race is going to be insane. And the American League division race in the East for the Red Sox also going to be insane. 802-585-3026. Here you go. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show. Brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center, locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. The Red Sox didn't do enough. But based on what was happening around them, the Red Sox couldn't do enough. And this is what I've been saying for weeks, and this is what I have been saying for months. The Red Sox couldn't make these kind of moves. The big moves the Red Sox couldn't make. It's the thought I keep coming back to. Huge prospects traded for Scherzer and Turner from the Dodgers. Sox couldn't do it. Huge prospects traded from the Blue Jays to the Twins for Barrios. Sox couldn't do it. The Red Sox couldn't make the big, sexy, flashy move. Javi Baez got traded for a top prospect from the Mets. Red Sox couldn't do it. The Red Sox don't have the system in place right now to take those kind of swings. And as a result, they are clearly not the favorite in the American League right now. But I'm not mad at Haim Bloom. This is how I foresaw this going. And Haim Bloom played this smartly. A lot of people are going to be mad that Haim Bloom didn't take a big shot. Haim Bloom couldn't take a big shot. I've been telling you for weeks that every Haim Bloom clip that I see says the same thing. We're not going to sacrifice the future for a short-term goal. And Bloom said it today to the media a little while ago. We want to win. We know how hard it is to get to this position. We don't take that for granted. At the same time, we want to win a lot. If you want the future to be good, you have to take care of the future. The Red Sox were never going to give up Jaron Duran. They were never going to give up Tanner Houck. They were never going to undo all the work that Haim Bloom has done in the last 18 months since he's been here to rebuild the farm system. These other teams can take shots like this because they've put in that work already. And in some cases, it was painstaking work. It took the Padres nine years of losing seasons to build up a farm system to the point where they could go throw prospects at any team who would give them players. The Dodgers have been great for a long time, but before that, they weren't particularly good. It took them a while to build up the farm system, and it took them a lot of discipline to build up the farm system. The Blue Jays, they sold off their team for parts. Joey Bats, Marcus Stroman, Edwin Encarnacion, that team that got to the ALCS a couple of years ago, they stripped it bare. It took them a while to build this core and build this prospect capital. The White Sox, they traded Chris Sale and Adam Eaton. They traded everybody. It took them three-plus years to get to this point. Hyam Bloom has had 18 months. He hasn't had the time to do what those other organizations did. I keep coming back to the same point. We all wanted, we all would have wanted a Chris Bryant. We all would have wanted a Jose Barrios or a Max Scherzer. The Red Sox couldn't do it. And it keeps reiterating my point. 
Hyam Bloom needs to rebuild the farm system so that he has a chance to make these kind of moves in the future. The Red Sox simply don't have as many prospects as other teams, and they don't have as good of prospects as other teams. The Red Sox could have done what? like To match the Dodgers traded, you know, like their number 16 prospect, and it would have been the Red Sox like number two. Like that's how big the disparity is. The Blue Jays in the trade for Barrios gave up two of their top four prospects. I believe they're still, after that deal, going to have six top 100 prospects in all of baseball, if I read that right. The Red Sox don't have that kind of depth. They couldn't do this. We all think that baseball is, you know, that accumulating talent is all about who has money. The Yankees did it with money, Matt, right? Late 90s, early 2000s, Yankees threw money. Money at Sheffield, money at Abreu, money at Pavano, money at uh, Giambi, money at A-Rod. It was all about money for the Yankees. Now, it's not solely about that. Money helps. The Red Sox having money helps. The Dodgers having money helps. The Yankees having money helps. But it's not just about money now. It's about prospect capital. Look. The Dodgers didn't get Scherzer and Turner because of money. They got him because of their farm system. They didn't get Mookie Betts because of money. They got him because of their farm system. They could keep him because of money, but they acquired him because of their farm system. The Padres got Hugh Darvish and Blake Snell because of their farm system. The Blue Jays got Barrios because of their farm system. Hyam Bloom is smart to not mortgage the future for now. And be honest with you, I don't know that if the Red Sox made one move, one big move, one more impactful move, I don't know that even going all in would be enough. When you look around at what other teams in baseball did, I think the Red Sox would have been completely outclassed even if they made one of the moves that you wanted them to make. Okay, I would say the Padres are better the Dodgers are better. The Giants, I haven't been a believer in much, much of the year, but now with Bryant, they're better. The White Sox are better. Houston's better. Tampa might be better. I still don't think the Yankees and Blue Jays are, but there's a lot of teams better than the Red Sox. And Hyam Bloom had to know that, that when he saw what was going on, like, whoa, there's really not a point in getting way involved here because these other teams... Like we could sacrifice the future and still lose. And that's not something I think that High and Bloom wanted to do or should have done. It's the Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I will say this. The Red Sox acquired Kyle Schwarber. I like that move. Yesterday, when I saw the rumors and when I saw the deal, I was initially confused by it. But ultimately, I think it's a good move for a couple of reasons. Schwarber can play the outfield, right? He's played the outfield this year in Washington. He can be outfield depth for you. You look at it right now, you have a full outfield. Renfro, Verdugo, and Duran. Kike and JD, kind of, you know, the ability to play in the outfield. That's certainly not a bad combination of outfielders, but ultimately there are questions. Will Duran turn it around? Will Renfro stay hot? Can Renfro play against righties? There are questions there. So having Schwarber 
as a guy who can just add depth to the outfield group and be an imp- impactful bat who's got 25 homers, that ultimately is a good thing. Lou Merloni, Red Sox broadcaster on WEEI, he said basically the exact same thing. I mean, take a look at their outfield, really, when you think about it. What do they got? Verdugo's an everyday player. He can play center field. We've already seen it. He can play right field, left field, wherever you want. Renfro's been great for them this year. I don't know, does he keep it up? I mean, he's been struggling lately. Is he an everyday guy for six months in October? Probably, but, you know, he needs a little breather. Jared Duran, what is he? He's in a buck 42. 12 punch outs, 34 at bats. Hit 270 in AAA. Hit some bombs, but a lot of strikeouts there, too. You have no clue. What if that kid goes south for the next two or three weeks and can't figure it out? Schwarber being there is good depth. Now, he's injured, right? He's, he's a couple weeks away, but when he gets here for late August, September, he certainly can be an impact bat, and he can help cover up any holes you may have in the outfield. There's also a chance, and I like this, that Schwarber can play first base. He has played one game at first base in his entire Major League career. Seven years, I believe, one game at first base. So it's not a natural fit. High and Bloom said they're going to try him there. Look, if they could teach Franchi Cordero how to play first, they may be able to get Schwarber there as well and add to the lineup that way. Dahlbeck hasn't been great. Cordero hasn't been great. If Schwarber can just you know, be adequate at first, then he adds to the lineup that way without taking away you know, from somebody in the outfield who may be hot. Schwarber also remember that I like this. 25 home runs was on a red-hot tear before getting injured at the beginning of July. He has a mutual option for next season. Okay, Red Sox and him, mutual option. So this may not be a pure rental piece. I've said I didn't want to give up prospects for rental pieces. This may not be a rental piece. Schwarber could be here next year if he wants it and the team wants it. And also, J.D. Martinez, once again, has that opt-out in his contract. If he does opt out or doesn't come back, then Schwarber could maybe be back and be your DH next year, and you've got a bit of a head start on the offseason already. So I like getting Schwarber. Initially, I didn't love it. I wanted a reliever, I wanted a starter, and I wanted a first baseman. Schwarber is an outfielder who's now maybe going to double as a first baseman. But ultimately, I've decided that I like this. And also, there's no August trade deadline this year. This is it. Like Your team today is your team. Your team and your farm system, that's what you got. So you don't have an issue now in the outfield with injury or underperformance yet. You may. So you can never have too much depth. It was a good move to go get Schwarber. The the, the move for Ch- with Chavis, I, I don't get. I've said this before. I don't like Chavis as a fit for the Red Sox. I thought he was going to get traded. I thought also maybe we'd get a player that we had heard of for Chavis. Austin Davis is a left-handed reliever from the Pittsburgh Pirates who I can tell you confidently I'd never heard of. I've watched baseball my whole life. I follow baseball closer than any sport. I play fantasy baseball. I'm up on the players. I had never heard of, of Austin Davis, the lefty reliever for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Now, WEEI a couple weeks ago laughingly, laughably suggested, who says no? Anthony Rizzo for Chavis. And I laughed at that. But there's got to be a middle ground between, hey, all-star and World Series champion and, oh, guy we've never heard of. There's got to be a middle ground there. Chavis is a guy who's got four-plus years of team control, versatile player, certainly thought he could be useful to a National League team where he's going, 
but I would think there's got to be something better coming back than a lefty reliever who, you know, hasn't been very good this year and has barely pitched this year. He's thrown less than 10 innings. So Robles has decent stuff. He's been hit very hard this year. So Sox added depth to their bullpen. Same thing as I thought before. You know, again, your team is your team. You add a couple relievers. If guys get hurt, whatever, you're going to need guys. So they bring in a couple bodies, but they aren't bringing in Craig Kimbrell. They aren't bringing in Brad Hand. So ultimately, I think the Red Sox didn't do enough. They made a couple of small moves, which is what I thought they would do. But I'm Bloom's hands were tied. He didn't have the dogs to go and get way into the fight. Other teams did. Hein Bloom's trying to get his farm system to the point where he can get into the fight. He's just not there right now. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. The Yankees and Blue Jays made big moves here before the deadline, too. That's awful news for the Red Sox in a couple different ways. That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox baseball comes up 20 minutes from now at 610. Sox and Rays, first of a huge weekend series down at the Trop. Sox are a game and a half up. Show is brought to you in part, by the way, by Orange Theory Fitness. Orange Theory Fitness is a high-intensity interval training workout program located in South Burlington. And I got to say, I was there yesterday, and I absolutely love it. It is one hour long. It is intense. It is scheduled. It is regimented. I am not somebody who can just go to a gym. I just can't. I just don't have it. I like to talk too much. That's why I got in radio. When I go to the gym, I pick up a weight. I do a set. I go get a drink. I come back. Pick up a weight, do a set, I talk to somebody else. And then eventually I grab the basketball and I leave the weights behind and I don't get anything accomplished. I was there for three hours at the at the regular gym. I do nothing. I go to Orange Theory Fitness. It's one hour. It's scheduled. It's structured. It's intense. They tell you what to do. They tell you how to do it. And then you do it and you do it well and you do it quickly. And then you're done. And that's the best part. It's a part of my day. It's scheduled out and I know I get to work out in. And I burn enough calories that I get that after-effect burn, and I burn calories for 24 hours even after my workout. So it is exactly the kind of workout that I need. It's made a huge difference for me. I did it for three years before the pandemic. I'm back at it now. Everything is being done safe. Everything is being done uh, up to code now in this COVID world, and they're taking care of us. And uh, ultimately, this workout takes care of me. So it's Orange Theory Fitness over on uh, South Burlington in the plaza there with the Chipotle and... Uh, inside the Shaw's Plaza, Chipotle's there, Starbucks, Subway. It is a great workout. I recommend you if you're looking for, I recommend you go there if you're looking to kind of turn your fitness level around, which is what I'm looking to do. Phil in Middlesex on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line says, Brady Gallo was hitting 211. The Yankees got a bunch of guys like that. He doesn't help the Yankees. Let me tell you, Phil, why what the Yankees and the Blue Jays did really matters in terms of the Red Sox. The Yankees getting Gallo, Haney, Rizzo affects the Red Sox now and to a degree in the future. The Blue Jays getting Barrios affects the Red Sox now and definitely in the future. And this is horrible for the Red Sox. The Blue Jays and Yankees are going for it, right? They're going for a playoff spot. Whether they should be or they shouldn't be, they're going for it. So they bought 
they are now tougher for the Red Sox to beat for the rest of the season. If they had sold or stayed put, obviously the Red Sox could have compiled more victories. So this works twofold. The Red Sox have 10 combined games left against the Yankees and Blue Jays, right? Less than 60 games to play. 10 games combined are between the Red Sox and either the Yankees or the Blue Jays, okay? Losing games to those teams who are now better would be a problem in terms of capability to win the division and in terms of my goal of the Red Sox getting the number one seed in the playoffs. I do not believe the Red Sox can win a World Series or even get to a World Series without being the number one seed in the American League. And now, with these teams getting better around them, the Red Sox have 10 directly tougher games than they had previously. Okay, More losses now will come in those games, impacting the division race and impacting the race for the number one seed. So this is awful for the now. Look at what has happened around baseball. The Astros, I think, have a chance at the number one seed. Seattle, not as good as them. The Angels just sold off a bit. Texas sold off everybody. There's more wins coming for the Astros, better chance to get the first seed. The White Sox, they added Craig Kimbrell. Cleveland traded away a bunch. Kansas City traded away pieces. Uh, Cleveland also traded away pieces. Let's see. Detroit gave away a reliever. The Twins gave away everybody, practically. There's more wins coming for the White Sox. So the Red Sox now, they're going to lose more games in their division. It's going to hurt the division race, and it's going to hurt the ability to get the number one seed. That's devastating. But it's also awful as far as the future is concerned. I don't think still, even though they're better, that the, that the Blue Jays and Yankees are threatening to win the division this year. The Red Sox have too big a lead. They may lose it to the Rays, but they're not losing it to the Blue Jays and the Yankees. So they won't catch Boston this year. But Joey Gallo's under contract with the Yankees for next year now. Jose Barrios is under contract with the Blue Jays for next year now. Those two teams just got a huge jump on the Major League Baseball offseason before it started. And the Red Sox were kind of left wondering what happened. Barrios is among the best pieces that could have been moved this offseason, and the Blue Jays already got him. And the Yankees getting Gallo is a good move for the future. And I understand. I'm fully aware, as are all of you, that this year is what matters right now. But if I'm looking into my crystal ball, the Red Sox are already behind the eight ball for next year. When you think about the offseason and what could happen, well, the Hot Stove League started today, started this week. The Yankees got Gallo, the Blue Jays got Barrios, and those are two teams in your division. Looking ahead to next year, Red Sox are going to have some questions, and those two teams already have some answers. So this is a big deal, not only now, but in the future. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEV Radio. One thing I found interesting, Buster Olney of ESPN said he wondered if the Yankees acquired Anthony Rizzo solely to keep him away from the Red Sox. I do wonder if part of the Yankees' thinking was, you know what, we like Anthony Rizzo. He helps make us uh, more left-handed. There's more balance. He's a great defender. But we also keep him away from the Red Sox. I am shocked that the Red Sox did not finish a deal for Rizzo. I really hope that that's not the reason the Yankees acquired Rizzo. From If that's true, from the Yankees' perspective, 
this whole thing feels desperate. I'm starting to wonder if Brian Cashman fears for his job. Is he feeling the heat? Because it feels like if that's true, he's panicking. Yankees aren't winning the World Series this year. I just told you I like Gallo for the future, but you know, acquiring Rizzo to not win it this year doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So if Cashman's just saying, hey, I'm not going to win, but I'm going to hurt the Red Sox in the process, and maybe, just maybe, everyone will like me a little more if I do that, that feels very, very desperate. I know the Yankees, Mets, Red Sox are different, but you should never manage your team or general manage your team based solely on what others around you are doing, unless you're in direct competition with them. The Padres and the Dodgers directly battling each other. I understand if one of them wants to get Scherzer so the other one doesn't. I get that. The Red Sox and Yankees are in no longer in competition for this season. So Cashman shouldn't be trying to just, you know, keep someone away from Boston. He should be trying to just better his own team. And Rizzo probably does make the Yankees a bit better, but it ultimately isn't going to matter this year as far as I'm concerned. It feels a little too desperate. It feels a little too desperate, and I really wonder if Brian Cashman, either from the fans or from ownership, is starting to panic about his job. Because I I think Brian Cashman generally has been a pretty good GM over the course of the last 20 years, 25 years, whatever it's been, and this move felt out of character. If Buster only is right that they acquired Anthony Rizzo solely to keep him away from the Red Sox, that doesn't feel like this doesn't feel like the move the Yankees should have been making. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I told you, I don't think the Red Sox could make a giant move because they didn't have enough prospects. But are we all prospect hoarding? We'll have that discussion. That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox baseball against the Rays from Tampa coming up about seven minutes from now here on your home for Red Sox baseball. I've talked for weeks and months about not wanting to give up prospects, not wanting to give up top prospects for the Red Sox. I've wanted to hold on to the prospects and build the farm system because that's just what I believe that you're supposed to do if you want to win baseball over a long period of time. But a good question was raised. Are we all now guilty of prospect hoarding? Do we care too much about prospects? The old quote is prospects are guys that get you fired. That, that's a quote that a real general manager once told me. Prospects get you fired because they get injured, they don't materialize, whatever. You wait for them to develop, they don't. Prospects get you fired. He'd rather have sure things. Are we guilty of of prospect hoarding? Are we too attached to guys in the farm system? I would say 100%. Yes. And I would say that I am completely guilty of wanting to prospect hoard. And I don't know if it's a bad thing, but I know that the idea of getting rid of top prospects generally makes me cringe. And I generally don't like it. And I... I don't know when that started for me, but I know that I'm there now. And I think there's a lot of people like that. I think there's a couple of different reasons why we prospect hoard. First, there's so much information out there now that we know who the prospects are. And we've known about them since they were 16 
and playing in the Dominican Summer League, or we've known about them since they were drafted out of high school or out of college. We follow these guys for years. So before prospects even get to the majors, we've been invested in them for years, and we get so attached to them. Like, they're not our favorite players yet because they're not at the major leagues, but we're anticipating them becoming our favorite players. We're anticipating them being our kids' favorite players and guys that we want to go see play. So we never want to give those guys up because we've invested so much in following them. And when you're so invested, it hurts to lose somebody or it hurts to lose out on somebody. It sounds way too ridiculous, but this is what fans do. And I know that I am guilty of it. The other thing is somewhere along the way, ownership and management brainwashed fans and myself included into thinking that the homegrown core is the best and only way to win. So we hate to deal away prospects from a prospective homegrown core. And you know what? A lot of owners have been proven right. Yankees in the 90s, homegrown core. For all the money spending they did, it was all about Jeter, Posada, Pettit, Bernie. Those guys, homegrown. Astros, a lot of, you know, Verlander, Granke, yeah, homegrown core. Altuve, Springer, Bregman, homegrown. Keuchel, Royals, homegrown core. Like We've seen it play out. Cubs, homegrown core, which now they've just completely disassembled. So we don't want to deal away from a homegrown core because we've seen it work and we've seen it materialize. And the other, you know, another reason we prospect hoard is we've been told and brainwashed again that basically we need a lot of cheap players on our roster and young players, prospect players are cheap. And the reason we need cheap players is because the salaries are so high that if we want to afford one or two big name players, the rest of the guys got to be cheap. So we hate to deal cheap guys. I absolutely believe that we are guilty of prospect hoarding myself included 20 years ago. I'd have fired off 10 year old Brady would have fired off anyone to get Max Scherzer, and I wouldn't have cared what it took. I'd have fired off anybody to get Anthony Rizzo. and But now, it's like we're all afraid to do that. I mean, the the A's got ripped for giving away Jesus Cesardo to go get Starling Marte. The A's got ripped. They gave away a guy with you know, five years of team control for a guy with two months of team control. 20 years ago, I would have done that deal too. Now, not a chance in hell. And the last reason we love prospects, nobody, everybody's afraid of being that team that gave away the next big thing. The White Sox traded away Fernando Tatis Jr. Can you imagine what the White Sox would be if they had him? Nobody wants to be in that position. The Pirates traded away Tyler Glasnow, one of the best pitchers in the American League. Nobody wants to be that team. So we're all guilty of like, hey, if we don't get rid of anybody, we can never be that team. So yes, prospect hoarding is a real thing, and I'm a part of it. So I'm sorry if I've been brainwashed by the establishment, but I think that I have. I like the homegrown players, and I like following them, and I want to see them grow with my team and not somewhere else. 
You're listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast, brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center, with locations in Middlesex, St. Albans, Swanton, Enosburg, and Derby, and online always at sticksandstuff.com. And welcome back in here to the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. The live show today was all baseball and the Major League Baseball trade deadline craziness. This is going to be all football here with some notes coming out of Patriots training camp and centered on the patch. So let's get into it right now. Let's just start here. Um, former Patriot defensive lineman, Super Bowl champion, fan favorite, Vince Wilfork had some interesting comments on what it's going to be like when Tom Brady comes back to Foxborough in week four as a member of the Buccaneers. Here's what Big Vince had to say. I think it's going to be a home game feeling for him. Um, I really do. I think the fans are going to welcome him with open arms. I think he's going to be embraced because of so much he's done for that organization. And, you know, Tom is Tom, you know, a New England Patriot or a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Um, he's Tom, and, and people love Tom, and people hate Tom, but he's going to a place where he won a lot of football games. He started the Super Bowl runs, and I really think they're going to open him, uh, welcome him with open arms. I really do. I think that Will Fork is half right. Tom Brady will absolutely get a hero's welcome. When the Buccaneers come to Foxborough, Brady will get a hero's welcome. There will be plenty of Brady jerseys in the crowd, plenty of Brady memories on Boston Sports Radio leading up to it, and plenty of tears, I'm sure, when Brady waves at the crowd. And of course, they're going to do a tribute video for Brady, and there will be an unbelievable cheer for him. But that stuff is all pregame. Pregame will be Tom Brady's time. But during the game... I don't think it's going to feel like a home game like Vince Wilfork does. I think Patriots fans, true Patriots fans, will root for the Patriots. If it gets out of hand, I could see, yes, Patriot fans changing allegiances during the game. But if the game is close, Pats fans will root for the Pats. If it's 17-14 in the fourth quarter, Pats fans are rooting for the Pats. If it goes to you know 23 to nothing in the first quarter, well, then Patriot fans will probably say, well, if you're going to win, you might as well just pour it on. We came for a show. But Patriots fans, I think in-game, will be rooting for the Patriots. They may cheer for some Brady successes along the way, but they're not cheering for a Leonard Thur- uh, Fournette first down on third and two. They're not doing that. Patriots fans won't cheer you know, the Bucks. They may cheer a nice throw by Brady or so, but they're not cheering for the Buccaneers. <clears throat> More so than the fan reception, though, the thing I've always wondered, since we knew when this game would be, since the schedule came out, I've always wondered, how will the Patriots players feel about it all, particularly the quarterbacks? If Cam Newton is the quarterback, if he's still starting by week four, I think Cam's going to get it. All week long, I think he'll understand. I think Cam is a smart guy who appreciates history, and I think Cam would expect you know some moments of reverence when he goes back to Carolina. So I think he'll look at it from that perspective. I think he'll get it. I think he'll be respectful of Brady, his accomplishments, his legacy. He'll be understanding of the fans and, and their love for Brady. And I don't think he'll be offended by anything. But during the game, I think that Cam Newton expects to be able to capitalize on the emotion. And I think he his goal is to be able to turn Patriots fans against Brady. 
He wants it to be 17-14 in the fourth quarter, and he wants the crowd behind him and not behind Tom. And if it does go the way that Vince Wilfork thinks that it will, you know, like a, a virtual home game for the Bucks. I think Cam is going to be gutted, and I think he's going to be upset. He's an emotional player. I think he will ride the high, and if it gets low, I think it will get to him. If Mac Jones is the quarterback, I think it's a completely different vibe. I think the whole thing will be very uneventful from his standpoint. I think Mac Jones will just focus on him, and in-game he'll focus on himself, and the whole thing is going to be very vanilla. But if Cam is there, I think there's real emotions that are going to play into it. That's why earlier in the week when we heard Lewis Riddick say he thought that Mac Jones starting was a better storyline for the game. It's not. The better storyline is Cam Newton starting for the New England Patriots because of the emotion that's going to come with it. All right, we do this every single day on the live version of the show. Let's get to crazy Twitter takes. The internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it? Yeah. They can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The The internet. internet. It's time for Crazy Twitter Takes on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! All right, taking a look at Crazy Twitter Takes. I was scrolling through social media and I saw this. Someone asked a question. Which quarterback is under the most pressure in 2021? And somebody actually said Cam Newton. And all I could do is kind of furrow my brow and eventually laugh at that. There's a lot of quarterbacks with pressure in the NFL, either because they make a ton of money, they have to justify a draft pick, or they're in the sweet spot where their team needs to capitalize on their cheap contract. Cam Newton fits none of those boxes. All of the quarterbacks that check those boxes all have more pressure than Cam Newton. Daniel Jones going into year three has a ton of pressure. Kyler Murray going into year three has a ton of pressure. Sam Darnold, who is now has to justify being traded for, he's got pressure in Carolina. Baker Mayfield now has pressure. Cleveland may have the best roster on paper in the NFL. They've won a playoff game. Baker still doesn't have a second contract. Lamar Jackson, also a huge amount of pressure. His team trying to figure out what to do with him and his contract. There are so many quarterbacks with more pressure than Cam Newton. Cam Newton has, he does have pressure. Every quarterback does. But I think Cam's is more internal. He knows that if he loses this job, he may lose a chance in the league. There is an immense amount of pressure there, but it's on Cam. It's not so much to me on Cam's team or on the people around Cam. What happens with Baker Mayfield affects everybody. What happens with Lamar Jackson affects everybody. What happens with Cam Newton, you know, it affects Cam. Dak Prescott has pressure. Aaron Rodgers, to justify all the shenanigans of this offseason, I think he's got pressure. I don't think Cam Newton has a whole lot of pressure. If he stumbles, they just go to Mac Jones and they move on ultimately. But Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, Daniel Jones, they're playing for a lot of money and a lot of justifying draft selection, etc. Cam Newton, man... Everything that kind of happens at this point forward for Cam Newton, I think, is vanilla, and I think it's there to, to gratify Cam. Okay? Cam has already been the number one pick. He's already justified that. He's already been an MVP. He's already been to a Super Bowl. He's already made a ton of money. He's accomplished almost everything you can accomplish in this game. The guys that haven't accomplished what he has, they're the ones that have the pressure. Uh, one more note on the podcast version here. 
um, on the Patriots. Bill Belichick spoke about Jared Stidham, and Stidham's going to miss some time with an injury. We just thought it'd be good to have another, you know, another quarterback actively participating in camp. Um, um, you know, Jared Stidham will you know, miss a little time, so we'll have Jake in here. So Stidham is going to be out with either with a back and shoulder injury, and he may require surgery. Um, pretty revealing by Belichick. He never talks about injuries, and he never really talks about personnel in this open of a way. So I have to think he's sharing this with us now so that the media won't constantly ask about Stidham at training camp. Like, we're, of course, we wonder who's going to start a quarterback. Is it going to be Mac or is it going to be Cam? There's going to be somebody that asks about Stidham, too. And I think Belichick is just trying to head that off. He's like, I'm removing Stidham from the competition right now by telling you he's injured. And I really do just feel bad for Stidham at this point. I I feel bad for how this has transpired. Last year, we thought that Stidham had a leg up on the starting job after Tom Brady left. And then you get to the end of the summer and the team signs Cam and kind of out of nowhere – Stidham's lost his opportunity. Then he gets hurt, and he can't compete for the job. So last year, I think he could have done some things differently, right? I think he could have taken the bull by the horns a little bit more before Cam got signed. Obviously, there was COVID, so it was hard to be kind of all in on the offseason and kind of leading everything, but other guys around the league did it. I thought Stidham could have taken a little more ownership of the position that at least he was keeping warm. Cam kind of sneaks in there, gets you know in at the last second, Stidham's kind of blindsided by that. Then he gets hurt in camp. And then, so he loses a chance at last year. Then this year, they draft Mac Jones, and it's very evident. Jared Stidham is not the present or the future. So if you're Stidham, the best you can hope for is like, hey, let me go out in preseason, play well, and maybe I can get traded or I can get cut, but there's some film on me out there, and I can go get a chance somewhere else. And now it sounds like if he's going to be out for a while – He's not going to get a chance to really participate in the preseason in the way that he would have needed to, and he's just kind of stuck. And, like, by the way, Jared Stidham does have some good qualities. I don't think he's the quarterback of the future, but he has made some great throws in his career, in his limited action, and he ha- he does have some good qualities. Remember this one last December? With a second down and nine snap. Again, a play fake, and a throw down the middle. Olszewski uh-uh. catches at the 25, runs right to the 15, to the 10. High steps out of a hit into the end zone. Touchdown, Patriots! Well, that was Stidham to Olszewski last year in that blowout against the Chargers in Los Angeles. And after that game, I spoke with Doug Flutie, and he said this. It's like there's this element that could be there that's missing, and it's Stidham comes in and goes a little pump fake play, bam, up the seam. It's like, whoa, that's a real throw. That's a seam route on the money, on time. So Stidham has some ability, and he's one of these guys like a batting practice hitter. Looks great in shorts, great in workouts, has the arm, has the look, but he gets rattled in his head and can't make real good decisions. I understand he's not the quarterback of the future, but if he's going to be blocked in New England, at least root for the guy to get a chance somewhere else, and this injury is now probably going to prohibit that. It's the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Thanks for listening to a uh, continuation of the Brady Farkas Show. Remember to check us back out again on Monday, live on WDEV, 5.30 until 7. We'll have a full 90-minute show breaking down the Red Sox and the Rays. See you Monday, everybody.